that that song that we ended on is is so encouraging. Uh, I tell you what, it's uplifting, you know, because uh, it really challenges me, challenges us in our faith. You know that the storms of life are going to come, but I'm going to be louder in my praise of God. Hey, brother, <laughs> I'm going to be louder in my praise of God than than any unbelief that tries to enter my mind to be expressed through my mouth. I'm going to be I'm going to be louder in honoring God than the circumstances are screaming in my ears and, and trying to get me dysregulated and agitated, right? And so, uh, and so, and that song, sing a little louder. Okay, I, okay, I'm battling. That, that tells me there's a battle going on there. And, 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 and I, you know, I just learned to accept the, the tension that comes with the walk of the Lord. If you think about that psalm, it says he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. There's a tension there. There's a God-ordained tension there. I'm going to prepare the table for you, but your enemy's present. Your enemy's got bad intentions. I'm getting a notification, sweetheart, the... the Discover Bill. <laughs> hey, it happens sometimes. You never know when those notifications are going to show up on your calendar. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I just wanted to encourage you that way. You, you know, sometimes you wonder what can I do? I, I don't have a way forward. I don't have a clear path. Uh, everything seems to be pressing in on me. The one thing you can always do is turn to the one who's faithful. It's turn to the one who's capable of preparing a, a, a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Turn to the one who is capable to save to the utmost. Right? And, and, and it is there you will find your direction because you are engaging the one who directs your life, the one who lights your pathway, the, the one who's a lamp to your footsteps and a light to your pathway, right? And so if we want direction, we need to stop trying to figure things out and engage the God of our salvation. Amen? So praise God, even if you have no answers. Praise God, even if things aren't logical or making sense. Praise God, even if you're sitting in the fire right now and you're stewing over whatever it is you're having to deal with. Praise God in it because there's divine purpose in it and God will turn it for your good. But honor him in it and trust him. Can you trust him there? He'll see you through. Praise the Lord. Uh, Join me in a brief word of prayer and... And we'll get started in the Word today. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've already done. And uh, Lord, by faith, thank you for what you're going to, going to do uh, through the preached Word today, Lord. Uh, may it be planted in our hearts and yield abundant fruit in our lives to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this month, I'm, I'm preaching uh, on the series, 
marked by Jesus. And actually, the, 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 the series title is Marked, Called by the Savior. You've been marked by Jesus. He's pleased to have you be a believer. But you know, even Satan, even the enemy believe. They know who Jesus is. He's pleased to have you as a believer, but his entire, his objective is to have you go beyond just being a believer and being a disciple. To be a follower of his, to follow in his way, to represent him in the earth. So if you're sitting there satisfied and content to being a believer today, I, I want to introduce a little dissatisfaction into your, into your thinking. I, 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 I want to give you vision for more than that because that's what this gospel message is supposed to yield, disciples. That we follow in the way of the Lord. And so we've talked a couple of weeks about it being marked by Jesus, called by the Savior. Uh, today, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to talk about a, a, a three examples of people who had challenges in their lives that would hinder their ability to walk with the Lord and how Jesus responded to them. So today's message is overcome. This is a, it's a directive. Overcome the challenges. Following Jesus isn't easy. So we got to be serious about it. Being a disciple of the Lord, it, there's going to be some distractions. There's going to be some, some challenges to overcome. Be determined. Set your face like Flint and be decisive. Overcome them. You don't have to overcome them alone. By the grace and strength of God, you're overcoming. But your heart has to be yielded. You've got to do that. Only you can decide to prioritize walking with the Lord over everything else in your life. If you do that, God will honor you and bless you in it. So, uh, I'm going to, the main text I'll be preaching out of the day is in Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in the 57th verse. And as you guys are turning there, uh, within this story, we'll see three individuals who have an opportunity to follow Jesus as he goes about in his ministry, traveling, teaching, healing, doing good. And for various reasons, these individuals make excuses for why they cannot follow Jesus at that particular moment in time. And Jesus responds to each of these uh, people individually with a comment about following him. And I'm going to say, before we get into it, some of you are familiar with it, some of you may not be, these, these responses of Jesus is going to come across harsh. And we're going to lean into this a little bit, and we're going to uh, endeavor to uh, get the meaning of what he's saying, the heart of what he's saying uh, to these individuals and what it means for us today. But notice, I want you to note that 
each of these three individuals, Jesus is speaking to their individual situation. He's not speaking to the crowd. He's not necessarily making this a sweeping thing for this situation that applies to everybody, but there's a principle that we can learn from it that applies to everybody, if that makes sense. Starting at the 57th verse. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. That sounds pretty harsh. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, the first response, that's Pretty, pretty good, pretty decent response. The second two responses, you know, seem to have a blatant disregard for our personal situations. And it sets a tone that makes it seem, my goodness, man, that's a hard thing. Do I have to cut off family? Do I have to cut off all associations? I have to do, you know, does he not care at all about my loved ones? And that's not exactly what he's saying. What he is saying, we'll get into as the uh, message unfolds. But let's start with those first couple of verses. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, I think what Jesus is is doing here is he is letting this person know what a life following him really looks like. It can look glamorous. It can look glorious to... To, to swoop in, lay hands on somebody, they're healed, they're, they are, you know, uh, delivered from demon possession, they have, you know, all kinds of cool stuff happens. And that can be enamoring. You can, you, you can, want, you, you can want that. That's all you see, so that's all you think you, you're investing yourself into. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This call of God on my life, I'm constantly traveling. I I don't have a residence to go home to. I'm on a mission from God, and it takes me from place to place, from house to house, and I have to trust my father for somewhere to lay my head wherever he sends me. 
So he's giving him a clear picture of what this life would be like that this guy says he wants to follow. Let me make it clear to you what you are entering into. Man, I wish the scripture would, would have said what these, clearly what these individuals' responses were. But if God wanted us to know that, then he would, have, he would have had it in here. But I just wanted to point out what he means by that. I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm a nomad. I go where he sends me. I engage who he leads me to. I say what he tells me to say. And then I move on to the next place he sends me to. And that is my life. So you who are living in your comfortable house, in your comfortable life, doing your comfortable things, are you willing to pay that cost to leave that and, and, and live a life that is less certain, one that is fully reliant on God. Hey, where are my frog ladies at? That's one of the one of the uh, the group of ladies meet, and they call their group frog, fully reliant on God, or fully rely on God. Huh? <laughs> I'm not calling y'all frog ladies. I'm saying, y'all know what I mean. Come on now. That would have been funny, though. Many, many people open their homes to them. Uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, you know, living in Bethany. You know, Peter, so many open their... That's why it was important. They would go, prepare the way. Just think of a life. Think of the life that Jesus lived. You really have to be in the spirit for that to be attractive to you. Because it does not appeal to the flesh in any way to not have a place to go back at the end of the day where you know your comfortable bed and your pillow and your robe and your slippers and whatever it is, your 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 easy chair and, and your remote. It's just continuing on the grind and trusting God. And either God's going to provide a place or my head's going to be on a rock as I'm laying out in some field somewhere waiting for God to give me the next instructions. So in this first scenario, Jesus' response to this man reminds, should remind all of us that there is a cost in following his way. That's all. I, I, I didn't want to have any super deep takeaway from that, but that's really what Jesus is telling this man. There's a cost. I'd love for you to pay it, but I want you to I want you to factor this in as you make your decision. Because this is the life. And this is what you're calling to. These other twelve over here, 
This is what they have committed to. And one takeaway uh, before I go to the next one, this guy was eager, you could tell, by his own words, I will follow you wherever you go. Be careful before you let those words slip out of your mouth. God, I'll do anything for you. Now, we should be willing to do anything for him, but just know, your anything probably ain't God's anything. And, and uh, you're just going to need to be flexible. But another, another thing is highlighted to me in this is that, you know, eagerness to follow Jesus anywhere uh, certainly is commendable, and that's certainly where we need to get if we're not there. But following Jesus is rarely convenient or comfortable. And I just want to put that out there for you right now. Following Jesus is rarely convenient or comfortable. When he paints that picture, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We know he's not penniless. He had old, uh, uh, you know, Judas taking care of the money bag for him. We know that he wasn't penniless, but he was homeless. Not because he was unable to, but because that's pretty much what the, what the call of God demanded on his life. He could not settle anywhere. And I'm not saying that God is calling you to a life exactly like that, but he's calling you to that same level of commitment. One that is not convenient or comfortable. And my hope, and I just want to lovingly challenge you, my hope is that we all develop an appetite and a desire to meet God and walk with God in those uncomfortable in the uncomfortable. Instead of desiring for him to make things easy for us, we're willing to go out into the uncomfortable spaces and be inconvenienced for the cause of Christ. Going on to the next verse, in verse 59 and 60, To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. (laughs) There is a right now aspect to what Jesus is saying. When he says, follow me, he's expecting an immediate response. The call is now. The time to respond is now. Will you say yes? Will you follow Jesus? The call is always right now. 
I don't mean to yell at you. I'm, I, just, my, I just got a loud voice. But the call is now. And it requires a response of us. Are we willing? Thank you. <laughs> and it tells me there's a principle here that even family obligations or any other obligations must not be put ahead of following Jesus. It, it doesn't mean I, I, there is no indication here that the young man's dad had already passed and that all he needed to do was perform a ceremony. Every indication I get from this is what I believe is that this guy wanted to close, this, close that chapter at some point in the future or in the near future, however far away that future was, once his dad is gone, buried, he settled everything, then to move on and follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 now. Now is the time. You don't have to try and set up and put affairs in order and wait for it till you're the man of the house and you own the territory and, and, and you can set things in order and leave, whatever, leave it with whoever and then follow the Lord. It's not follow the Lord and, and let everything else slide in underneath that. That's really, that's really what he's saying there. Don't put any obligations above following Jesus. Put following Jesus above any obligation. And then let the Lord lead you in how to carry out the obligation. But prioritize the Lord in following him. That's the takeaway that I get from that. And that's probably not the model that we would use today. When you want people to try and follow you, you want people, you're trying to uh, build up the, the, the church and so forth, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take Jesus' approach necessarily. I wouldn't be inclined to, because he's almost discouraging them from doing it. Right? I mean, just think about these first two things. Hey, man, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Instead of saying, come on, man, let's do this. God is good. Amen. Let me tell you the stuff you don't know. There's no going home at the end of the night. There's no hot bath waiting for you. There's no guarantee of a hot meal. There's, there, there's not even a guarantee of shelter. We fully rely on God here. And when we go to a city, we do the works of the Lord, and we trust that God's going to somehow provide. Now, if you can handle that 24-7, 365, then come on aboard. If you can't, then you got some, uh, you got some thinking to do. So he's not trying to sell them a dream. He's telling them how it is. You won't find that very common today. They're always going to put their best foot forward. And then all the negative stuff, they'll put it in tiny print down in the bottom right corner of the page. Or they'll spend the whole commercial selling you something. And then the last two seconds, speed scrolls all the stuff that could kill you about this thing. 
right? They want to emphasize all the good stuff, the reasons why you ought to do it. They don't spend this much time trying to tell you, hey, there's a cost, and I want you to know fully what the cost is because I want you, when you make your decision, I want you to have counted the cost and you value following the Lord over whatever it costs you. I don't want you getting in and saying, well, if I'd have known it, it cost this. That's, that, that, that's, that, that's when people turn back. And that's why we've got to preach the full, unadulterated gospel. What does it mean, the salvation that we have? What does it mean? What does this gospel require of us? What, are, what is demanded of us? Yes, we're saved. Yes, God's grace and mercy is good. But there's a call. You've been marked. Your life is no longer your own. You've been bought, purchased with the blood of Christ. And so I, so, so our mindset should be, now that my life is no longer mine, my life belongs to the Lord, That's, that came with the salvation that I humbly asked God for and he graciously gave me. Because he didn't want just believers, he wanted disciples. And so I'm calling all of us to rise up to that standard. Let's be disciples, true disciples that worship him in spirit and in truth. So I love it that Jesus wanted people to know it at the very beginning. I wasn't going to mention this, but I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, not all three are mentioned in this account, but in Matthew chapter 8, the passage that I'm reading this story uh, is also addressed. Uh, the first two individuals are addressed in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, I believe it's like 19 to 21. But in Matthew's account, this second gentleman, it refers to him as a disciple. And it, it's, it's curious to me, and I don't want to add to, I don't want to add unnecessary confusion uh, to it, but obviously this young man believes in Jesus. And he's following him to a certain extent. And Jesus is causing, calling him to a level of commitment that his life doesn't necessarily allow for due to the obligations. All right, come on, Canon family. Uh, as I was saying. See, throughout the Gospels, you get the impression that there were only these 12 disciples. 
there were dozens, if not hundreds of disciples, even in the gospel. They just weren't the 12 disciples. So in Matthew 8, this second gentleman is referred to as a disciple, but, you know, we have to grow even as disciples. You haven't arrived just because you're a disciple. You, you know, you have, you have engaged yourself. You have invested yourself that I'm, in, I'm for real with this. I want to be your disciple. Now I'm ready to follow you. Well, now you're going to learn and grow and mature. That's really the relationship in which you really grow in the Lord is the discipleship relationship. So this young man had things going on in his life. It just wasn't convenient for him to follow Jesus in the way Jesus wanted him to follow him. And so he asked for an exception. He had an excuse. Let me get this phase of my life. Let me get through this phase of my life. Let me get through however long that takes when my dad goes home to be with the Lord, and then I'll be ready to go. And finally, yet another said, notice, notice, all of these three, all three of these people said, I'll follow you. There is an interest there. There's a desire there. All three of them, I will follow you. This isn't a, will you follow me? He's not begging for people to follow him. Now, I know the call has gone out. He goes out and he says, follow me. But they weren't being especially prompted by him. They went up and said, I will follow you, Lord. And one thing before I get into this third one that we need to address, when you say, I will follow you, Lord, we, we, we cannot have the attitude of, I will follow you, Lord, in my own way. I will follow you, Lord, on my own terms. I'll follow you, Lord, on these conditions. It's just, I will follow you, Lord. That's the one big takeaway, kind of, that's overarching all three of these. What does it mean for us? Lord, unconditionally, I, I, I follow you. You set the agenda for my, for, for, for my life. You direct me. Yes, there are decisions and choices that I must make, but the priority of my life is to follow you. And all of the decisions are going to be made in light of that. And I'm not going to say wait for this or if you do that and so forth and so on. No, it's just yes, Lord. I follow you. So yet another, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, that could really be taken. Did he just say I'm not fit for the kingdom of God? Well, let's not mince any words here. If you put your hand to the plow and you're looking back, that's what the word says. It doesn't say you're not saved. It just says you're not fit for it. You know, to say, hey, you're going to have to get, 
you have to get yourself in order and get in line with with that with with that that is pleasing to, to the Lord. You have to get in line with His will. No one put his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't want to, I'm not all that well versed on it, but you know, back when farmers did their plowing, they didn't have all the nice equipment that's available to farmers and stuff now. A lot of times they had to put their hand on the plow and they had a marker whether it was a tree or rock or whatever, they had to put their hands firmly on the plow and they had to keep their head forward and eyes on that mark. That's how they stayed straight. If they looked over their shoulder and didn't look forward, guess what? Crooked, crooked, crooked lines. And what Jesus is saying here, hey man, you put your hand to the plow. It's time to look forward with Jesus. It's time to put your stake in the ground and press forward for the mark of the of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It, that there's a level of commitment here. There's a cost. It's not, the emphasis is not on whether or not you're fit for the kingdom of God. The emphasis should be on the cost, the commitment that is required of us. It's not anti-family. It's not anti-association. It's not anti-any of those things. It's, it's, uh, but it is an issue of whatever those associations are, you have to be willing to part with them if need be to go with Christ. If need be, the choice has to be clear. Doesn't mean that you would have to do that if you can prioritize Jesus and be in those associations. So be it. But if you can't, then the associations have to go. It didn't take a lot of intellect to be a plowman. You didn't have to go to school. But you had to be a man who, you had to be someone who, when you put your hands to something, right? When you put your hands to something, they're going to stay there. When you commit to something, you're all in. Steady hands. When you, when you get a grip, you keep that grip. And what Jesus is saying, get a grip, people. Put your hand to the plow. Get a good grip. Keep that grip. 
and let Jesus be your plumb line. He's the one you're going towards. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And remember what I've said on a number of occasions, when you read a verse like this, you have to interpret it. In order to interpret it properly, you have to consider the whole of Scripture. You can't, you can't uh, really believe that he wants us to hate all these people that should mean the most to us in our lives, even though that's how it's translated here. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 10, starting at the 34th verse, to kind of give a little more context about that. He doesn't want you to hate them. He doesn't want you to hate yourself or hate your life. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Isn't that interesting? He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I don't want everybody to kumbaya and just get along. He didn't come to bring peace on the earth in that sense. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. How I many of you know the word of God is the sword of the spirit? I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You don't need Jesus for that, but hey. <laughs> and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me. That's really what the context that we should drop. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, I look at that, how the word of God is like a double-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit, able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And by the word of God, he doesn't want there to be fighting in the house. It's not, he doesn't want there to be all-out war in everybody's house, fighting between the in-laws and the parents and their kids or whatever. But you, the bottom line here is, What's that sword? The word of truth determines in a household you're either on the side of faith or unbelief. You're either in Christ or out of Christ. And whether you're in Christ, and if some of you are in Christ and some of you are out of Christ, then you're against each other. You can't help but be against each other in some ways. It brings clarity. 
And he wants all of us to be saved. So he brings the word of God in, and either you know Jesus or you don't. Either you're saved or you're not. And if you have loved ones who aren't saved, then that's part of your mission field. But you can't let the unsaved loved ones direct your life if Christ is your Lord. Or their concerns or their fears and so forth, they don't know the Lord like you do, right? So even though they could even mean well, have good intentions, and be giving you the worst advice. For your faith walk in the Lord. Not because they're terrible people. They don't, they, they don't, they don't share your faith. They don't know the Lord that you, that you know. They don't have the faith that you have. But they love you. And the stuff that God may be doing in you and may be calling you to may sound crazy. And they will discourage you from going on with the Lord. And you've got to decide, Lord, as much as I want the affirmation and support of my family in this, if they never give me that, I'm keeping my hand on the plow. You can pray for God to turn their hearts and God can use you to minister to them, but you've got to go with God regardless. He wants us to love him more than even those who are precious to us. I'm not even going to keep y'all long today. One last uh, thing I want to say. When one of the Pharisees who was a lawyer Asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered him in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So let's think about that and uh, as I draw this to, uh, to a close. Love God with all that you have, with all that you are, and love others as yourself. He said all the law and the prophets can be summed up by these two. God's just saying, love me. No, really love me. Love me as much as I love you. He's saying if, 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 if all the law and all the prophets, if all that's wrapped up in those commandments, then even as he says, follow me, be my disciple, he's saying the same thing, love me. 
Love me as I love you. Because you know, Jesus went all in for us. He left glory, was born as a man. lived among us and much of all the stench and filth of sin, even put on a sin suit himself as son of man. So he got down into the mire and the muck with us. He spoke the truth to the powers that be even though he knew the backlash that that would bring. He even told one of the powers that be, that told when he said that, I have, you need to answer me, because I have the power over your life right now. And he said, you don't have no power over my life. You cannot take my life if it wasn't the Father's will for you to. I, you're not taking anything. I'm laying it down. He laid down his life for us. And so, you know, and it paints a picture of how hard it was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sitting there sweating like great drops of blood. And, and, and he's saying, Lord, if there's another way, I know all things are possible unto you. If there's another way. But he, each time, he did that three times, and each time he finished by saying, but not my will, but yours be done. And as he's nailed to the cross, he's still there. He loves us so much. Father, forgive them, for they know not. They, they don't really know what they're doing. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us that he went through all that for the joy that was set before him, he endured it all. Despising the shame. He was all in for us. All in for us. For better or for worse. For richer or for poor. <laughs> he was all in for us. He went to the cross not because he needed to go. He went there because we needed him to go for us. That's how much he loves us. So when he says, follow me, he's just saying, reciprocate the love. Doesn't want it begrudgingly, doesn't want it out of sense, out of duty, uh, uh, and, and, and nothing but. My, so my encouragement to, my encouragement to all of us is Let's love, let's love Jesus as much as he loves us. Let's endeavor to love him with the kind of love he is deserving of. And like our three examples today, you may have some objections. You may have some distractions. You may have some challenges in your life. Maybe you've been bargaining with God because of those challenges and, and, 
And right now, uh, my hope and prayer is that is that you're under conviction before God that the Lord is dealing with you. I'm not trying to talk you into anything. I'm just speaking the truth. We're all supposed to be disciples. That's what we've been called. We've all been marked to be used by him in a discipleship relationship. And I'm just making you aware of it and calling you to it. And, and I'm challenging you in your prayer time, go to God with this. If you're under conviction and you know what your challenge is, that, you know, that you're like, man, I really want to do it. God, I really want to go deeper with you, but I can't because. Well, then take that to the Lord and let him deal with you there. Your solution there is between you and him. But that solution, if you're yielded to him, will end up being him being prioritized over that thing, however the end result ends up looking. That's what needs to happen. Priority, discipleship, relationship with Jesus. Priority, loving Jesus. And everything slots in under that in order. Are you hearing that today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you're doing so, you might not be under conviction. There may not be that obvious thing. But scripture says that one ought to examine himself to see if it would be of the faith. And you may or may not know one of my uh, I'll say one of my favorite passages of scripture that has been one of the most impactful in my life is Psalm 139. And that psalm, you know, where it says that where can I go from your presence? You know, if I go to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're there. From my, my bed and show, you're there. And those all that. So after talking about how much God knows him, he says, you know me in my innermost parts. I am fully known by you, God. It ends up in the last two verses saying, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my ways. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, he just spent the first 22 verses talking about how much God knows him. So those last two verses, 23 and 24, isn't for God's discovery. He's asking for God to reveal what he doesn't know about himself to him. Whatever is under the surface, whatever is my blind spot, whatever it is I don't know that I don't know, Lord, I want to follow you to such a degree that whatever is in me is hindering me, even though it's unbeknownst to me. Turn up the heat. Make it come to the surface. Make me aware of it so that I might yield to you even in that area. 
And so in light of that, I ask you to pray to God, God, is there any bargaining that I'm doing with you? And it's been a blind spot for me. God, is there any place in my life where I'm thinking, I want to follow Jesus. I hear the call. I want to do it, and I'll do it someday. But for reason X, Y, or Z, I can't follow him now. In prayer, ask God to reveal that to you. Bring it up to the surface. Because hopefully you have, a, you have an insatiable desire to want to yield that to him and remove that impediment, that challenge that keeps you from going deeper with God. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the elders to come. Elders, and I'm going to ask the elders' wives to come as well. And Hallelujah. If the word of God brought forth today has really hit home to you and and one way or another you're under conviction before God and maybe you've already begun this but I want you to come and let us pray with you. Let us bless you in the Lord. We want to be a support to you as you as you do what's required of you to order your life aright with God. Doesn't mean that you weren't saved. Doesn't mean that you were bad Christian per se. It's just that God's calling you to more. And if you want more with God, just come and let us pray with you and and uh, partner with you in prayer. and be a blessing to you in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people, oh God. 